Her name is Peggy O'Neill, and she's trying to get a dedicated bike lane near a Burlington, Vermont elementary school. But as Laurel Wamsley found on a recent trip there, she's hit some roadblocks. When Peggy O'Neill first started pushing for the bike lane, she had just come back from Bogota, Colombia, a city that invented ciclovia closing streets to cars and opening them to everything else. It's the entire city, like avenues, huge avenues, open to bicycles, dogs, skateboard riders, rollerbladers, everything, not cars. So you have this privilege and priority in the streets. Along with many others, O'Neill tried to get the city to approve the protected bike lane for a week, a day, or just an hour. We really wanted to say yes to it. That's Moreau Weinberger, Burlington, Vermont's mayor. He says he wants Burlington to be the sort of place where citizens' energy can flourish, noting that city governments can be the instigators of tactical interventions, too. Part of Weinberger's vision is to make Burlington the best biking city on the East Coast. But we got a long way to go to get there, and we think it will be accelerated if uh, citizens are empowered to participate in that and help us do some of the work that's going to be necessary. So the city created a tactical urbanism policy, making it easier to greenlight projects like O'Neill's. And it published a 50-page tactical urbanism guide, offering ideas for projects citizens might propose. Welcome to Unsolicited Bridge Picks. I'm your host, Charles Winkleman, and with me is... Bree Bills. Bree Bills, the one, the only. I thought you were going to give us a little bit of the uh, fairy white there. Mm, all of Vermont's wonders and none of its trolls. <laughs> we just want to give a shout out to our uh, four... Patreon subscribers, thank you so much for uh, covering our hosting fees. We got Shane Carruth, Matt Moore, Amanda Hannaford, and Mind a Business. Woo! We love you very much. We're not going to treat you like you're too special because that's fucked up. And We uh, actually should treat them worse. We should treat you worse because <laughs> you have disposable income. Yep. Even five bucks a month. <laughs> you're going to waste it on us. You must have way too much you, disposable Yeah, you pieces of shit. <laughs> Talking about everybody's favorite topic, bike lanes. Yeah. We've been talking about bike lanes for a long time. I mean, we worked together in the Old North End where one of the big bike lane disagreements or or, uh, flashpoints of conflict is on North Winooski Avenue. The first year we worked together, we did a long-term project in which we used bike recycle and old spokes home as a resource. I mean, I had my idea for uh, like three years that we should build a mobile group bike for for the classroom you really it's such a to good idea that. it's like it is such a great idea it, like that for preschoolers yeah that should be the goal of good infrastructure is like where classrooms can take entire groups out on a bicycle around your town that should be the only goal by the way no, yeah i mean honestly but an incrementalism is never gonna get us there we are uh, we're both cyclists to some degree i'm more i'm more yeah, fair weather we both, we both biked to I'm work much more fair weather <laughs> i couldn't ride a bike until i was like 17 18 so i definitely came to it pretty late i growing up lived in a city so i would either walk everywhere yeah or take the bus because the public transportation infrastructure was decent yeah no i really really hated biking when i was a teenager i would just run places vermont for many is synonymous with green spaces littered with the occasional tree hugger Cow and septuagenarian democratic socialist. So it's no cow, surprise. Cow. <laughs> uh, so it's no surprise that its citizens have been pushing for more sustainable transportation options. Bike infrastructure has been a hot topic in our largest city, Burlington, for some time, and there has been incremental headway made by sprinkling protected bike lanes here and there, 
creating a bike share program, installing road diets. Paint, painting uh, lines. Painting lines. Especially the green boxes at intersections. That's that's my favorite. So our listeners should probably expect that we're going to talk about how we should save the planet and implement an astounding overhaul of the current bike lane infrastructure in favor of shiny beacons mm, of progress. Mm. Right? Yeah. I love environmentalism. <laughs> 2006 Honda Civics are very environmentally friendly. Thank you very much. Anyhow, we are not going to do that because that would be racist and blind to the clear gentrifying forces that bike lanes bring with them and other problems. But we'll start with that. Watching people in the Old North End support bike lanes, especially the city councilors there, uh, without, I think, recognizing that bike lanes by themselves are incredibly harmful to to certain communities. Yeah. Um, And that if you're going to have bike lanes, you have to have rent control and public transit. That's free and actually accessible and comes all the time. And like, there's so many other yeah. elements to bike lanes and, and sustainable infrastructure. And Yeah, so we are happy to be able to draw on some of the research from bike lanes or white lanes. Like there, there was one example of a neighborhood in there that's very much resonated with what we have observed in the old North End. So if, if you are listening to this right now and are like, why didn't I see this before? You should probably pick up that book because... Uh, this is obvious shit. <laughs> and even if you do immediately say that, it doesn't it feel good to be smug and right? Oh, it with does. Your best friends, Bree and Charles. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're good for. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna take some time to examine where our current conversation is. We're gonna talk about the glaring absence of some important voices, and in our, our voices in this are not important. They are not. We're just here to present a lot of the conflicts. But my voice, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. Well, it and it's important to point out that our voices are not absent here. Mm, there's not a lot of white Jewish men <laughs> talking about transportation and biking. <laughs> Anyhow, hopefully, my hope is that we dream a little bit about what Vermont's transportation infrastructure could look mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll get there. We might just want to keep shitting on people and ideas that are dumb. But if we get there, that would be yeah, great. Yeah. Either way. Either way. I'm in. Yeah, so the conversation mostly revolves around this dichotomy of diehard spandex sustainability sellouts wow. and those who really like street parking. Well, and, and just like generally want to advance the status quo of transportation infrastructure in the United States, which anybody who is advancing the status quo of any infrastructure in this beautiful country of ours, you know, is playing into the hands of white supremacists and fucking all of the beautiful, wonderful things that that has brought our country. This this dichotomy you're talking about, would you say that's really the dichotomy of those in power? Because I I think about a lot of people who need street parking. I mean the political conversation. Right, exactly. That's what I mean. The people who who are most vocal and connected to those in the power. Well, and and then somewhere in the middle of that, there are the lukewarm Dems who are vomited into the fray with senseless compromises that really just poke a stick in the spokes of any sort of progress. But what would be Democrats without that? I know. <laughs> what would be... And unfortunately, that does include a lot of progressive slash progressive Democrats. But Oh, yeah. And we know, like, incrementalism with, with infrastructure, it's fascinating. Who thinks that works? It does not work. <laughs> like... No, it, it actually is, ends up backfiring even worse because you, yeah. you lose all goodwill by just, like, slowly pissing off every street one at a time yeah. and every neighborhood one at a time as opposed to being like, look, we promise six months it's going to be real shitty but once we're done 
everything's going to be much better. It's going to be connected. You're going to love it. Yeah. So those people should grow a pair of cerebral hemispheres. That is my new grow a pair. Nice. Got to grow a nice. brain. <laughs> so do we want to start with the two camps, right? There's kind of, when we were talking about it, we were kind of saying, oh, it's kind of like the Max Tracy's versus the Kurt Wright's and then the Dems somewhere in the middle, which ultimately helps the Kurt Wright's. You know. <laughs> I don't think that's entirely fair to Max Tracy because I feel like, I feel like there are a lot of bike advocates who are just bike advocates, honestly, and like are just environmentalists and are not real social justice class driven activists and i think it's not entirely fair to, to say that max tracy's is the oblivious neon spandex camp no and i and i think too with counselor tracy i think he has been open to hearing i think some criticism or feedback of, of how he's been approaching bike lanes more so than at least in the past and more so than almost anyone else yeah. in the city because i, I mean max has been one of the mm -hmm. biggest proponents of bike lanes yeah so Ultimately, this comes down to a conversation about uh, people's lifestyle choices and preferences, because basically those without those choices are left out of the conversation, right? So it kind of is a conversation about people who can afford to and choose to live in the city or in a place where, where they can bike or have that kind of access. I would say it's less lifestyle choice and more uh, their material conditions. Yes, there there's a cultural element to it for sure. But I think most of the people who bike in Burlington are people who are actively making that choice because right. they have the money to make that choice. I would also argue, Charles, like there are a lot of people who work in Burlington who live in the surrounding areas in Colchester, in Richmond, in wherever, you know, because they want to have an acre of land yep. and then they have to drive in and then they rely on parking and those kinds of things. So that's kind of what I was meaning. Like among mm. those class of people who have the, the means, the material means. No, 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 no. I think I think that's a good point. I guess I get what you're saying. I, I just, as a Marxist, I think material first. I think of material conditions influence culture and influence decisions. Yes, but I would say that we know only thanks to Grace Ellison that many higher income residents of Chittenden County are in Burlington's surrounding areas and rely on cars. Well, is it real? rely on or choose and are those cars uh hybrid or fully electric or gas that's the question right <laughs> are they big fucking trucks that run on diesel because you've got <laughs> and is burlington electric giving them an eight thousand dollar discount on those trucks <laughs> so the clip that you heard when we started the episode is uh, from a uh, NPR article from 2016 called With Citizens Help, Cities Can Build a Better Bike Lane and More. It's about wealthier white people and Mayor Weinberger empowering certain citizens to encourage more bike lanes. Yeah, so let's look at one camp, which is kind of, we'll just say it's the bike lobby, right? They promote bike infrastructure and... There was an article, I don't remember where it was, where Dave Hartnett was complaining about it and essentially talked about the bike lobby and local bike lobby and how they don't represent real people or you know X, Y, and Z. And he was talking about locomotion. Locomotion has mm -hmm. deep ties to this administration. Uh, Mayor Weinberger hired former Locomotion Executive Director Chapin Spencer in 2013 to run the Department of Public Works, DPW. Mm -hmm. Spencer had been a progressive city councilor in Ward 1. It, this happened early on in the mayor's administration, and it, it, to me it, it seemed like it was mostly a fig leaf to progressives to be like, hey, I'm not entirely icing you out. <laughs> 
I got your boy here. He loves bikes. You all love bikes. You fucking hippies appreciate the bikes. <laughs> Spencer himself is a landlord. Uh, owns uh, six units in the South End, valued at over a million dollars. Chapin Spencer also founded uh, Locomotion and. Locomotion essentially started in 1999, and this is from the website, with a singular and improbable mm -hmm. goal to get people on bikes across the mouth of the Winooski River, where the Burlington bike path ended. So a lot of what they did was really bring out the, the tourism waterfront bike path, and that goes all the way to Colchester, and they run a little mm -hmm. boat that can take you across the bay. But what I think was most interesting was when Chapin was hired as the director of DPW, the people who, who support him are the same people who keep coming back up in, in all of our <laughs> stories. So we had Joan Shannon, oh. who said that she is confident that Chapin uh, will be an inspiring leader of the Department of Public Works. We had Kelly Devine, former executive director of the Burlington Business Association, that really appreciated that Chapin uh, considers the needs of an impact on both the larger community and its individual members. Mm -hmm. And then there was also Tom Torty, president and CEO of Lake Champlain Regional Chamber of Commerce who said that he shows the ability to work with diverse groups and get complex projects done. This is exactly the kind of leadership that we need at DPW. Yeah, well, and then he speaks their language. There was a quote from him, you know, when he's talking about why we need to push Colchester Ave bike lanes. Mm -hmm. And it's yep. just such neoliberal gentrifier language, right? So he says, quote, we have an active and vibrant community and having a transportation system that is safe and fosters an active lifestyle is good for our economy. It's good for tourism. These are smart investments for infrastructure. You know, when I think of tourism, I think of all of the tourists biking down fucking Colchester Ave. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, that's my favorite part. It's like, well, we need this. No one's going to show up to this city if there's no bike lanes. And it's like, no, that's not like to get to Burlington. You need to drive your car here anyway. Like there's no way to get pub on public transit to actually get to Burlington. To get to Burlington from most major cities. From Boston, from New York, it, from Montreal. To take public transit. Yeah, the once a day train. When you put it like <laughs> that, Charles. So much of this is people look at bike lanes and they see it as this. They don't see it as a Band-Aid. They see it as like an entire bandage and like ER room. When it really is, like when you look at Montreal. Yeah, when you look at Montreal, it's like, yeah, they, they have a subway system. They have yeah. a, a robust bus yeah. system. That goes out to their suburbs. That goes out to and they're, and they're they keep building it like they they keep building outwards. Yeah. And so like, bike lanes can work, but also uh, Montreal as a history. Last time I was up in Montreal, I was talking to someone there who they were saying they think uh, housing prices have been so low in Montreal because of the separatist movement that set off a lot of bombs, huh. and that they think that kept international capital from from. Because right now, Montreal is going through the, the same sort of gentrification that has been occurring. But for so long, mm -hmm. rents were super duper low there. Um, and so that's a part of it, too, is that this bike infrastructure developed within a city that actually had low rents. And you cannot find that in the U.S. Uh, yeah. anywhere. You know, yeah. <laughs> but I think what you're saying about the language that is used to promote building more bike infrastructure, it is so telling when you look at who they're looking to serve. And then they throw in things like, oh, 
this will help poor people too because they can't afford cars. And it's like, but that's an afterthought for you and you're not really oh, thinking about it. without a doubt. That. It's very much an afterthought. And, and you look at the locomotion staff, it's almost exclusively white, very clearly prof- professional, college educated. They have corporate sponsors that include Pomerlow, Ben & Jerry's, Skinny Pancake, Burton, a bank, a realty company, Hotel Vermont, Farmhouse Group, Flatbreads, and lawyers. And so like you, you look at who's sponsoring them it's literally the tourism and real estate right. industry, <laughs> which is funny because, you know, Gabrielle, you talk about this dichotomy. And frankly, the dichotomy that we see is just different groups of, I think, different groups of the petite bourgeoisie. <laughs> it's just different groups. Right. The tourism industry who likes the bike lanes because they can market it in a certain way. And then you have the local small business owners and small landlords who hate it because it takes away their free parking. Yeah, like Kurt Wright saying, well, this is going to reduce parking <laughs> spaces and it's going to hurt businesses and those in the greater community who rely on vehicles. And he also throws in, you know, that people people who rely on vehicles, like poor people who need vehicles to get along, which clearly at the top of his mind. Which is an afterthought. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great way of being like, I'm a, I care about the working class. I don't know if people want to go back and listen to Brian, Brian Pine stuff, but we mentioned in our episode on Brian Pine... <laughs> Go back and listen. Do not listen to Bree. She's wrong. You want to listen to that one. It's a great one. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we we mentioned in our episode on Brian Pine that many landlords and business owners are less than enthused about giving up on-street parking that many of their tenants... Particularly on North Winooski Avenue. Uh, particularly there, yeah. We heard, uh, yeah, from Stu McGowan, Hoekstra. Butch and Babes. Yeah. So it's important to point out that most urban design and infrastructure serves to promote and replicate the status quo that the way we maintain and build more infrastructure most often uses social reproduction to perpetuate age-old problems. So for these people who are really trying to hold on to that parking and all these other 20th century infrastructure, maintaining the status quo in a really broken, fucked up society is something you should maybe rethink, at least. But if you're going to change the status quo, who are you actually changing it for, right? And who is changing it? There, there was a, a 2017 article uh, in seven days called Backpedaling. Mm-hmm. Burlington residents challenged plans for more bike lanes, which was, this was three years ago at this point in the Old North End. And they talked to Burlington landlord Jill Deemer, who was complaining about how she was going to lose 10 parking spots. And, and she rents out three whole buildings on this one street and really didn't want to lose those 10 parking spots. I'm not against a livable, bikeable, walkable city, Deemer told the uh, Public Works Commission. I feel it's too much asking for 10 spaces to be taken away on North Union. Deemer, who has rented to college students and young professionals for almost 20 years, objected to the process. Property owners and landlords and tenants were left out. Like, which is just an amazing thing to say. Were tenants left out? Who knows? But then the best part is, it goes on, is the dissent just nimbyism? No, say those who will have lanes installed along their properties. Bike lanes, generally speaking, are a great idea, said North Union landlord John Pizzagalli of the uh, Pizzagalli Construction Company. It's so funny because it's clear that everyone who has an opinion on bike lanes, it, it's because of their own self-interest. Well, and so that's the thing. Like when, it, when, when Kurt Wright <laughs> says that not all stakeholders have been spoken with, like, who are you counting as stakeholders? Right. Is this is this the Brian Pine situation where you're just saying that you don't think business owners and landlords have been, been able to complain and keep their free parking? Yeah. Like Right. And and like, like the disputes about about it hurting businesses, like there has been research done that disputes that idea and that shows actually that 
having bike lanes replace parking in front of your business can actually increase the average amount that people spend and the number of people who are going in and out of your of your stores. But honestly, public infrastructure should not be decided or based upon uh, whether small businesses can make more money. Yeah, and so I I do want to clarify here. Don't take this the wrong way. We're not necessarily saying like, hey, fuck parking spaces. We're not proposing anything yet. We're just saying you're you're going about this the wrong way, right? Who are we protecting here? Who are we catering to? Who is being left behind in these conversations? If you like parking spots, you're wrong. If you like bike lanes, you're wrong. We are the only ones who are right, so listen up. <laughs> no, that's for our cult episode, Charles. The truth is only here. <laughs> there was another uh, great article that came out. Uh, it was written by Courtney Lambden. came out in November mm-hmm. uh, of 2019 in seven days, uh, where they do interview Courtney Bush and a bunch of others from Butch and Bays. And, and it really is just like the constant, constant complaint they make is this is going to hurt my bottom line right like here's this these free parking spots this is public space you look at studies that show how much right. space is used up by parking spots it's it's an insane it's, amount it is that um, is absolutely disgusting like most cities are roads and <laughs> parking like that's like most city space taken up is by cars um so yeah. there's like there's no question yeah. that that is a problem. Right, especially when you're like, wait, this is public space and you want it to benefit you personally. We we want public space to benefit you personally, like absolutely. But we want it to cause the greatest good for the greatest number of people. There are NIMBYs in this conversation and the NIMBYs are the Jill Deemers and, and the, the Eric Hoekstras and the Lee Andersons. The NIMBYs are the people who are capitalists who have a, a literal financial self-interest right. in not having bike lanes like there's a difference between your own financial interest in not having bike lanes versus someone who literally cannot survive if they can't park their car because their landlord crammed 18 people each person who has to work 40 hours a week and needs a car to get to their job in one building like that's i mean there's just such a a huge difference between the two of those and the other the other thing for tracy is that he also has uh he also is supporting rent control like if you're gonna have public uh, improvements you have to commit to allowing the people who've been living there to stay there even when the community improves and but i think that's the thing that i think was really missing and has been missing from any sort of progressive or bike advocate sort of thing is, is the idea of well we have to build this out and when i and others point out well the bisonettes just evicted 300 right. low-income households who no longer will be able to use those bike lanes anymore right yeah I mean, and that's an important piece of the gentrifying puzzle. Like you're, you're, you're forcing people out afterwards. Like it's, it's people who are like, oh, now I can get all the hip college yuppie grads who love the grit of this gentrifying neighborhood. Like, oh, it's great. It's like, it's kind of rough around the edges and that's sexy. Yep. I can rent to them at these ridiculous rates. So a lot of, a lot of these bike lanes in Burlington have been pretty uh, contentious. The New North Ave bike lanes were approved on a 10 to 2 vote. The Winooski Avenue bike lanes were approved on a 7 to 5 vote, although certain city councilors worked behind the scenes to try to make sure that uh, those bike lanes never actually happened. And uh, a, a big reason that bike advocates push for bike lanes, or at least a big reason for their stated goal, is safety. Like, really what they talk about is, well, these are the, the places with the highest crash rates. If we switch up the way traffic flows we can keep 
residents safe. I'm trying to remember if it was um, Archambault or Spencer saying that he's kept up at night thinking about the 300. No, it was, it was Archambault who said that, who was at the time in 2019 was chair of the Public Works Commission, said he loses sleep at night thinking about the safety of those cyclists. And let's not get into that. Tiki is a, uh, I think he's running for city council because the city's gotten too radical. He's a small landlord. Yeah, maybe spend some time losing sleep at night thinking about the people who are literally sleeping outside. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Well, oh yeah, no, that's exactly, I'm like, <laughs> like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Yeah, so this year, as you mentioned, the discussion has turned in part to creating bike infrastructure on Winooski Ave, including what's known as a, quote, road diet, in which four lanes, I don't know if I need to say this, but the four lanes that are dedicated to cars now are converted into three lanes with a center turn lane and bike lanes on what? either side of the traffic. I'm sorry, what sick freak? came up with the idea of road diet like what technocratic freak came up with that idea and was like yeah this is what's gonna this is the language that's really gonna convince I, people i have nothing more to add to that it is who likes the word no one likes the word diet it's not a good word no no one no it's like it's a negative word it's Diets like austerity are bad. <laughs> yes. it's like road austerity when yeah. you frame it in that way it's like you're gonna get people being like yeah healthy yeah I abuse my body because I think I should be skinnier. And then you've got other people being like, what the fuck? Now I'm going to have so much congestion in the middle of the winter and like nobody, that's not going to be space that's usable or whatever. Anyhow, in May, the community news service reported that, quote, bike lanes like Winooski Ave are crucial for low-income families, new Americans, and youth who disproportionately don't have consistent vehicle access or share one car among an entire household. It's estimated that 1,500 households in Burlington have zero vehicles, and 6,730 households share one vehicle. For these residents, having safe bike infrastructure isn't a luxury. It's a necessity, end quote. Wait, 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 wait. 8,200 households in a city of 19,000 or maybe 20,000 households have zero or one vehicle. That is yep. a startling statistic because 30% of households have like three to eight vehicles depending on how many college kids or like young professionals quote-unquote live in those buildings but the thing for me it's like wow great it's great that you pointed that out like we clearly have a lot of people who are in need of access to transportation that is affordable and that that can get them where they need to go and not be a source of incessant stress yeah. and job insecurity and you know can con contribute to Problems with accessing healthcare and healthy, like healthy food and those kinds of things. Yeah, right. Are you are you going to talk out at your job if you don't have a car and so your employment options are severely limited, or are you going to shut up to make sure that you don't lose that job because that's the only one you might be able to get? Are you going to be at risk of losing your childcare spot because your car breaks down and you can't get your kid to? school enough days of the year and then you lose your spot because no no, no Brie, you got it wrong um what low-income families should do is stand out in negative 20 degree weather while it's snowing and icy waiting for the bus with their three kids but there are three kids who, <laughs> who might not have burton snowsuits right anyhow so yeah it's to, what i'm getting at here is just this seems like a ridiculous assumption not a ridiculous assumption i'm sorry it's I, sorry sorry community news service i know you're you're college kids um Keep working on it. Take this as constructive criticism. But yeah, what data might support that having bike infrastructure for these families is a necessity? As far as we can tell, the data don't support this. No, and, and community news service students writing there are reflecting what we hear from city leaders and, and 
housing leaders. Even recently, the New North Ave project in the old orphanage, Michael Monti of CHT essentially made a, a fascinating argument because they made an agreement where there would be less parking. They got some sort of parking waiver. They wouldn't need 1.5 spots per, per unit. And his argument was essentially, well, poor people don't have cars. The, the assumption wasn't they don't want cars. The assumption wasn't their lives could be improved by cars. Never mind, like, if you have mobility issues, you need a vehicle, a car to get around in, in wintertime. And... No, no, none of that. It was just like, oh, well, we've done research that says, you know, a certain number of poor people don't need car or don't have cars. So let's just cut the parking spots. Yeah. We don't fucking need them. So um, bike lanes or gentrifier oh, lanes. Yeah, and again, not to shit on college kids, but... um. These college kids, again, are one of the demographics who would benefit incredibly from bike lanes. Not to say that that's not something that we should be investing in. If we're looking to uh, green, sustainable infrastructure in the future, we should have college kid buy-in to biking. Yeah, but you need to be serving the people who it's the least accessible for. Like, Right. It needs to be a secondary thing. So much of, our, of the biking infrastructure in, in Burlington literally is serving the people who are most able, youngest, wealthiest. To your point, Gabrielle, like one example of that is the Green Ride, which came yep. about a few years ago. Where is it located? <laughs> they have a campus plan. So for students, it's $25 annually for faculty and staff of mm -hmm. any college or university in, in, in Chittenden County, where you get 60 minutes of free riding time per day. And then there's some other fees. There's also something for low-income residents, which is more <laughs> then for college students, it's $5 monthly, $25 annual membership. But of course, if you are low income and you qualify and you jump through all the hoops, uh, you still have to pay an extra $5 for every extra 30 minutes. There's still a $25 fee for out of system if you lock your bike outside of the system area. Uh, there's a $2.50 fee for locking outside of a green ride hub. Oh, shit. Are these green ride hubs like all over the old North End then? <laughs> they do allow you to be cash based, which is, is surprising, but probably unlikely. Mm -hmm. No, so so where are these located? So there's six on UVM campus. There is uh, one on Champlain campus. So we've got seven, more than mm -hmm. half are just on UVM or, or college campuses. There's one at the U Mall, one at the airport, one in downtown Winooski, three in downtown touristy areas uh, and then one in the old north end on north Winooski avenue right in front mm -hmm. of one of the redstone gentrification buildings and so it's like it's, it's really clear that this bike share program is not in the least bit intended for everyone and, and right. this is a constant problem with bike share programs bike lanes are white lanes touches on this several times and it's clear from the way they've they've done this bike share green ride program they're zero interest in supporting um low-income families through it and to get back to uh, Archambault if I can quote him for a second he he talks about what's happening in Burlington and he says quote what's happening here is that there are more young people and people with kids who are trying to make Burlington home and that's what they want they want to be able to get around with something other than a car so these are people who like the pull of more transportation options and who have the luxury of choice like if, I mean he makes it very clear that the people who he, they have in mind are young people like college people and 
young families who who want to get around which have flexible job schedules who have the money for a 500 hundred dollar bike trailer who often have typical job schedules too if you're if you're still working late shift it's so clear either you have the 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 wealth where you can choose this or you have the wealth where you can keep a consistent job that pays enough that has enough benefits it's just yeah it's bike lanes are white lanes talks quite a bit about this idea of invisible bikers so you have the oblivious neon spandex bikers right and then you have invisible bikers who you know they're biking on the sidewalks they're they're not using their reflective gear they're not following the law and using Mm -hmm. their the lights or helmets or you know and they are they're using the bikes because they need to and a lot of times just thinking a lot about other people who can bike two jobs and be presentable. The idea of wealthier white men as commuters. A lot of these people have a consistent job and a consistent workplace where they have their own space, right? They have space to shower, to change, to store their bike. Um, For for me thinking about when I was biking to work as a teacher in Boston versus all of my (laughs) black female colleagues that I know of drove cars. And just thinking about what we make black women do to be considered professional in terms of Mm -hmm. the way that they dress, the way that they Mm -hmm. have to have their hair and the way they have to have their makeup. You can't just bike and then show up and like fix your hair and your makeup in, you know, to be considered professional in a lot of these environments. Yeah, no, there's there's so many barriers in so many ways. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I was seeing, even on local motion, like they were having this program where you could have a free e-bike for five days or something to get people to try it out. But then you look at some of it and it's like, well, you have to have overnight storage. (laughs) You have to be able to have transport to or from local motion. You have to bring your own helmet. Like there's all of these different small, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote hidden fees that really add up. And like, I think one of the things that makes me so frustrated is like, for example, Old Spokes Home, who does some good work and we should talk more about them. They partner with Burlington Electric Department who provides a $200 rebate and Green Mountain Power, who provides a $300 rebate for any of their customers who buy an electric bicycle. Oh, I didn't know that. And you can get a 0% interest loan from Opportunities Credit Union for buying an electric bike if your income is below $78,000 for a family of four or $38,000 for an individual. Oh, wow, I qualify. Wow, maybe I should. No, but I don't need it. (laughs) If you're actually going to use an electric bike, if that's your main transportation, you have to be able to use it all the time, right? Like you have to be prepared for negative 10 degree weather, for icy weather, for snowy weather. Um, I mean, even this website that talks about the subsidized bikes can access quality e-bikes for transportation for as low as $1,700. That's uh, buying a car. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's that's very much buying a car. I understand the intention, but it's clear that the people who run this shit just have no... I mean, either the, the financing doesn't work because there's not enough uh, investment, but, you know, the classic, like, then they're playing into this system. Like, even CarShare, even CarShare, the cheapest CarShare, CarShare Vermont, uh, is $6.50 an hour plus $0.38 cents per mile, or $65 for the day. But you don't have to pay the annual fee of $150. Like, that's still a pretty high... Bar. And this is get, getting at like who who does not bike, right? Yeah, well, well, part of it's who who does not bike, and then part of it I think is like if you're gonna only be a cyclist, 
in this town. You're going to need a car at some point. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like that that's that's an added, added cost. Like it's really hard to live in Burlington with a bike if you're never like going to the mountain or going on any sort of hikes or you have to rely on friends. Like even car share in car share uh in in Burlington there are uh 15 different cars that you can get. Eight are downtown. One is near Winooski, one is on UVM. One is in the new North End, and four are in the old North End. Uh, that's not like when you think about the old North End being mm-hmm. by far the densest area in the city and the state. Like it's just there's that's not enough. <laughs> that's yeah. not not only is there not enough, it's also prohibitive. It's, yeah, car ownership in Vermont. There's so much around it that is a class marker. You know, like so many low income families, and as you're saying, just Vermonters at large see a car as a necessity. It is a necessity. Many are at the mercy of unreliable cars and even less reliable Vermont weather, as you've pointed out, in, in order to get to and from jobs, appointments, childcare, yeah. school, the grocery, everything. And I feel like that's a clear class distinction, mm. right? Either you having a car puts you at its mercy and it is a constant source of stress, <laughs> or it or it gives you yep. peace of mind because you've got it in your back pocket, or, right? Or you can or you can afford a newer car. So like there's Exa- peace exactly. of mind there too, because you're not buying a, a shit box. You're you're buying something with you know twenty, thirty, maybe sixty thousand miles exactly. on it, or even or new. brand new. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. But you know it's you know it's not going to break down anytime. And soon. and if it does, it's not the end of the world for you because you can call into work and can be like, shit, my car broke down. I, yeah. I've got to take the rest of the afternoon off because I was just driving around. I was just driving to a yeah. city market for my lunch break, but it broke down and now I've got to take the rest of the day. No big problem. Not going to lose my job. Take take it unpaid. No problem. <laughs> or take it paid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> totally. if you're a person who celebrates getting down to just one car or if you have a car and you figure, hey, if I don't have to use it too often, great, because maybe I can save money on my insurance if I only use it recreationally. Um then bike lanes are probably near and dear to your heart. (laughs) Um, I did a lot of reflecting, thinking about this episode, just like thinking about my own experiences with transportation um, and kind of the going back and forth in my life in terms of like being dependent on cars or public transportation or being a cyclist. Um, Because at at one point I was biking 80 to 100 miles a week. But yeah, I remember that when I came back to Vermont, my my grandmother was mortified. Like she found it really embarrassing and troubling that I would opt to take a bus to get anywhere. So I don't know if you remember that I Mm -hmm. also, we bought our first car when our second child was born. And before that, we we just borrowed cars from my grandmother that were pretty shitty and terrible. But like, whatever, you know, but she was... She was mortified, uh, for example, when I needed to catch a bus to go to Boston or something. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to take a bus, like the public bus to get yep. to the Greyhound, right? She she was just mortified by this. She was like, no, 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 I can pick you up. I'm like, you're not going to come and pick me up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> but uh, she was also convinced that I would die or be raped or whatever if I biked or took the bus. But um, I feel like a lot of Vermonters have that idea about like taking public transportation is this class marker that you should be ashamed of. Unless you're taking the bus to Montpelier from Burlington, in which case you are an elected official or someone who is uh, <laughs> important and environmentally conscious. Yeah. Well, and then there's the other part of what you were starting to talk about earlier, like all the other hidden things that people don't necessarily calculate right away. If you if you are a cyclist and you've been a cyclist 
and you have resources, you don't think about the dozens of things that you need to prepare. So like for a family bringing kids on bike, right? you've got the helmets, you've got the reflective gear, you've got the lights, you've got the rain gear, the winter gear, the bike trailer or the tag alongs or whatever. You've got mm-hmm. the maintenance costs. It adds up really fucking quickly. And, and it's, it's, it's a very big, um, like you could buy a shitty car for like $200. $400. Like you can't buy a like a dependable legitimate good bike that could go up hills for $400. I mean it's what $1700 was the cheap end for an electric bicycle even with rebates? Like you can get a decent car for a grand yeah. that runs and keeps you warm and can have more than one yeah. person in it. <laughs> and you're in your own protective bubble, like you don't have to be stressed out about getting hit by another car even if you do, you got airbag. You know, like it's just there there's so many different things uh, that make cars feel safer. Safer. So I, I was even looking like Old Spokes Home or Bike Recycle. They have a deal. They sell bikes. The Old Spokes Home has their Everybody Bikes program. Now, one might think that that means all bikes are free. No. It totally sounds like that. <laughs> Adult bikes are 50 to $150. Yeah. Kids' bikes are 25 to 40 You have to show up and prove that you receive benefits. Yeah. This is mean tested. You have to be willing to grovel and show that you're a poor person. But the point is, like, even the programs that are for low-income people aren't free. Like, that's what it comes down to. And so if, you're, if your choice is walking, which is free. <laughs> yeah. Or if you happen to get, you know, a free bus pass because you qualify, why would you not do that over biking, which right. costs money? But again, that's not the only barrier right. to biking. So story time for me, I didn't know shit about it and I was terrified, but I started biking exclusively when I was getting my master's. That's a brag. I, it's a brag. I know. I couldn't afford an apartment on the Metro line in Boston. So I would have had to be taking the bus every day. <laughs> so investing in a bike and biking 80 to 100 miles a week seemed better than losing time on the bus when I could be exercising and like climate change and, and stuff. You, and you have to be on the bus as scheduled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Getting to Burlington from Essex Junction when we were teaching together, it was an hour and 15 minutes, yeah. which is ridiculous. But anyhow, that's an aside. <laughs> so I leveraged everything I had learned as a white college grad to make this seem as much like a yuppie second nature thing as possible, right? But my roommate, he was a black man and a child of immigrants. He <laughs> instead paid for a gym membership and took the bus, right? So I'm like, yay, biking and exercising. And and by the way, he was training for a marathon that year. He was he he ran the Boston Marathon that year. Did not train outside at all. He trained in the gym and he took the bus to get to work. And this is what he had to say about it. I never learned or was taught how to ride a bicycle growing up in Northern Virginia. Public transportation, parents driving, walking, those were the norms. My folks, maybe their experiences in Ghana, never got onto the whole assimilate via riding a bike. And I never felt compelled to. I don't recall seeing black people run or bike around my hometown. And I noticed the lack of that more so moving up to a running and bike centric climate as the Boston area is. So traveling via public transportation compared to what I saw when I saw people on sidewalks running or biking equals definitely a racial disparity, if that's even the word for it, right? (laughs) So when I became a quote runner, I definitely noticed it when doing road races. And that's where I'm going to end the quote there. But it makes perfect sense. Black men are seen as suspicious and they're killed for the crime of being black while running. Being black while existing. Exactly. I don't know how to bring up that meme. Like, There's no way to bring that meme up. There's a very racist meme. That's been around for like 20 years. 
is like, do you know what people say when they see black people on bikes? There's this whole part of our psyche around what we think when we see people of color in public spaces, period. Right. Regardless of how they're occupying that public space. And then you add on top of that, them having some sort of material object that can be uh, assumed that it was ill-gotten. Yeah, and so as, to quote for a minute from Bike Lanes Are White Lanes, quote, within the post-racial American myth, it is a life-threatening move for Black people to be outside, often in their working-class neighborhoods, end quote. Biases and injustices that affect members of our community when driving, such as increased traffic stops for people of color and escalation in said stops, that translates to comparable experiences on bikes. When I was biking all the time, I thought often about how a lot of my biking experiences were colored by the fact that I was a woman biking and that there are stereotypes about women driving. And I that definitely extends to cyclists. Like we must know not what we're, we must know not what we are doing. Um, <laughs> but it's much more nefarious when we look at what happens with the crime of driving right. while black and applying that to cyclists of color. I mean, and this is not just us assuming that based on the incredible body of evidence about racism in America that extends to biking. Like this book, Bike Lanes Are White Lanes, also shockingly recounts that a 2015 Tampa Bay Times investigation found that Black people are being unfairly targeted by the police, not just when in public, but specifically when riding their bikes. Tampa police are, quote, targeting poor Black neighborhoods with obscure subsections of Florida statute that outlaws things that most people have tried on a bike, like riding with no light or carrying a friend on the handlebars. Yep. Definitely things I have done with black friends on bicycles. <laughs> um, we don't have to say that. In Whiskey. Williston, so it's okay. <laughs> In Essex Junction, Wilson. Anyhow, data analysis from Tampa Bay's police ticketing record revealed that eight out of 10 people receiving bicycle-related tickets are black. I mean, not surprising, but stupid and crazy. Well, it's, it's so f- much easier to see someone's skin color when they're on a bicycle than when in a car. Like, and it's easy to, in a car too, but at least you can tint windows. You, you can, there's things you can do to kind of make it harder for, for police to, to see that. But when you're on a bicycle, you are out there. You are naked. Well, only if you're at UVM. <laughs> Unless you're doing the UVM naked bike ride. <laughs> and then that's mostly white people. Yeah, that's anyhow, true. that's not a thing anymore, right? Mm, it's not officially sanctioned, but anyhow. We had a naked quad run. Mm. So yeah, people of color, it makes sense, would be re- reluctant to use a bicycle as a form of transportation, especially in the face of racial profiling, threats of deportation, yeah. Or, or if they're simply unsure of the rules of the road as cyclists, because as you know, you're putting your life on the line being black in a public space. You want to be following all the rules as much as you can anyway. Jumping on to that, part of the Old Spokes Home and their Everybody Bikes program is that they have this transportation equity coalition. And this is like the closest that yeah. this state has to anything similar. And the goal is to amplify voices that have historically been intentionally and unintentionally barred from the field of community planning. For the Everybody Bikes program, they talk about, too, how a lot of their customers depend on their bike as their mm-hmm. main mode of transportation, which is tough in a mm-hmm. car-centric community. Uh, the city has made strides to implement bike-friendly infrastructure, but the bigger picture questions also need to be acknowledged. Who participates in the transportation planning mm-hmm. process and who benefits from it? And so they're, they're asking the right questions, right? And, and you know, even when it came to that whole Brian Pine, Winooski Ave bike lanes, they were one of the few organizations that said, yeah, bring on the bike lanes. It's one of those things, too, where, like, mm-hmm. I get what they're trying to do, but at the end of the day, they're still so tied up in, in so many ways in, in the larger bike lane, biking culture ecosystem. 
their equity work is funded by the Burlington Electric Department. Yeah. The Chittenden County Regional Planning Commission, the Vermont Natural Resources Council. Like it often, I think, feels like, in, especially in the state, like these sort of things are done so that these other organizations can check a box and say, right. we've we've contributed X amount of dollars towards equity. Like yeah. even the city's own transportation planning, they talk about one of their goals is the equity. And yeah. their goal is two events per year. Like that's their goal is getting low income and people of color to two events per year. That's not a it's not a proud goal. That's not something to I mean proud with of. with old folks home. I do not envy anyone in the position of running a nonprofit. Yeah, no. Especially a nonprofit like that where it's what is it, robbing Peter to pay Paul? Yeah. Like most of the people who are going to your business are wealthy. They're buying the seventeen hundred dollar electric bikes with no question. Right. They're spending a thousand dollars on a new fucking bike. Oh yeah, I remember like when I first went into old folks' home and I was like, "Oh my god, I will not touch anything in here." Yeah, no, exactly. Everything is so expensive. I mean, it's a cool place. A month ago, I had a dream where I was in old folks' home with friends and we were just like robbing the place because we were like, "Oh yeah, it's open and unlocked, and we're finally getting shit we've never been able to afford." (laughs) One of the things I think that is like really fascinating, I guess, about this is how the city has a, a walk bike master plan. It's 175 pages long. There's some photos. It's not something that most people will ever read. It mostly focuses on a short-term, one-year plan to have, you know, quote-unquote successes, and then a five-year plan, and then a long-term plan, which is an actual full build-out where there's no time frames mm-hmm. or really a lot of details. The thing about this master plan is that it builds on 12 other plans that had been written since 2010 to 2016. Mm-hmm. It includes the the Chittenden County Regional Planning Commission Regional Bike and Pedestrian Plan, the Vermont Comprehensive Energy Plan, the BTV Plan BTV Parks Recreation Waterfront Master Plan, the Burlington Bike Path Study, the North Ave Corridor Study, the Plan BTV Downtown and Waterfront Master Plan, the 2011 Comprehensive Transportation Plan for Burlington. Mm. Like it just like it goes on and on. Biking and biking planning and biking infrastructure is just like the the technocratic fetishists love it like they just love being able to <laughs> sim city exists city skylines exist like if, if you have this urge to to single-handedly control your own community and decide what's best go play a video game that does that <laughs> like you don't you don't need it here and, and i i think what's interesting is is so much of this plan and, and we'll get into the details a little more but like it's a very comprehensive plan. I have a lot of problems with it, but at least it like it really goes over every area. If you're a nerd, it's worth reading. But then you look at what the city of Burlington and what Mayor Weinberger focuses on, and it's like, okay, so we have City Hall Park, which is a $5 million project, which uh, funding for the project was $1.1 million was an annual city bond, $1.26 million from an institutional bond, $1.5 million from donations, mostly mm-hmm. Pomerleau, uh, $1.3 million in public fees from a development, $500,000 from downtown TIFF, $150,000 from pennies for parks. Like you you look at what the mall development was, millions of publicly funded dollars went mm-hmm. into it. If you look at the waterfront bike path, because like th- this is what the city actually cares about. They don't give a shit about actual s- cycling for people who work here or live here. It's entirely tourism based. But they have an equity action plan, Charles. And, and we've we've hit on this a little bit, but a lot of it is like the fact that what what are these tiffs used for, right? Are they used for low income housing? Blighted are they areas. Used for paying people more. Or are they used for 
infrastructure that would benefit everyone. No. <laughs> of course not. What do you mean City Hall Park benefits everyone? Not <laughs> The city's big plan for, for fixing the entire bike path is a $15 million plan. What the city has gotten done so far is has been about a one over $1 million. Some of that was privately funded. You know, they raised $500,000, the Parks Foundation. But in addition to $1 million from this year's city budget for the bike path improvements, there was a $3 million through TIF funding. Mm-hmm. So the majority of, of bike funding that is done is A, mostly for the bike path, B, mostly for tourists. Or recreational. Or recreational. Or for students who have money. Like, it's just, it's not, none of what happens in this city when it's not this incrementalism, it's not done to actually benefit the people who live here and work here. Re recreational biking and local motion. Local motion owns and runs the bike ferry, right? Yeah. It's eight bucks round trip to use that shit. Yes. I mean, it's recreational. You know, nobody's using that on their commute. But still, like, even for, like, yeah. it's yeah. just rough. It's like, it's, just, it's rough. I know it's expensive to run. I think they said it's something like $200,000 to run it. And it's they run it 100 days a year or something. So I'm like, yeah, it's expensive. I get that it's expensive to run, but still. like Yeah, no, no, nothing about it is particularly accessible. Like, in the other thing, you mentioned locomotion. Like, the other thing that they did which I think honestly lost them a lot of goodwill in the community, was uh, in, in 2016, they supported the, the pit. They supported the Maori <laughs> development. And they came out very publicly for it because it was going to open up two streets. Like, that was their thing. Yeah. It was like, we get two streets opened up. They've promised bike lanes. Well, A, those bike lanes probably aren't going to happen. But on top of that, uh, Locomotion, they, they worked on this pack together for progress. And in total, they spent $15,000. Do you know who else was in this, this pack? The Burlington Business Association, AARP Vermont, uh, Lake Champlain Regional Chamber of Commerce, and the Chittenden County Regional Planning Commission. So, like, you, you look at who is supporting BBA these. must be supporting it because bike lanes are bad for business. <laughs> I mean, BBA is supporting it because they're most influential business members want it. That doesn't mean all of their business members do. So there's that. But but then on, on top of that, when there actually is some sort of, of, of infrastructure that is developed, but the, the, the Champlain Parkway is, is, I think, the most clear example of how the city does not actually give a shit. <laughs> this was from July of this past year. In seven days, an article, Champlain Parkway will hurt low-income neighborhood opponents say. The transportation planner consulting with the city said the project will improve transportation mobility and safety for all users and will not cause disproportionately high adverse effects on the Maple and King Street neighborhoods. So those neighborhoods, uh, over 18% of residents there are minorities, which is above uh, the city-wide number. Several people of color came out who talked about how uh, the Champlain Parkway was essentially going to move traffic away from the white homeowning neighborhoods in the South End and move it more towards these uh, black and low-income renting neighborhoods, uh, more towards downtown. Yeah. Mark Hughes, coordinator for Vermont Racial Justice Alliance, said he's insulted that they're trying to convince us that the air quality and noise level in that neighborhood is going to either be the same or be reduced because of the changes. Of course, Kelly Devine, the executive director of the Burlington Business Association, in a statement said that they did not identify any new obstacles and urged other BBA members to submit comments in favor of the project. 
Shoppers and workers heading downtown are frustrated by current congestion on north-south arteries such as Shelburne Road, which is overtaxed. More transit options will not only alleviate traffic congestion, but also help catalyze growth, productivity gains, and business recruitment in the city. Uh. So like here's here's a specific example where people are coming forward and saying, no, 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 you need to do an environmental justice right. assessment because it's clearly going to impact certain neighborhoods worse. And you have the same sort of fucking people come out time and time again saying, nope, we should do it. It's going to help for the tourism industry. Like, you know, like that's the BBA. The BBA is the tourism industry. This is why we were talking about the Bogota thing earlier. We should be designing cities and infrastructure for people who have the least amount of choice. If you have the choice to bus to work, to bike to work, to drive to work, to car share. You don't matter. Yeah, you don't matter. This is how we should design it. If you only have the option to use public transportation because, for example, you're in a wheelchair and you can't own a car or whatever else, like, you should be prioritized. (laughs) Like, you should, they should make damn sure that you have good public transit options. And and not just public transit options year round. And not just year round, uh, not just nine to five or six to eight or, yeah, like, you, you need the options to be there throughout the entire day because your schedule might not be a typical schedule. Are you going to keep talking about the, the plan? The enforcement plan. Yes. Do that. Talk about that one. <laughs> so there's three parts of the enforcement plan, which is revising the crash reporting protocol to collect more robust data. Mm, yum. So sexy. That's always. Uh, increased collaboration between the Department of Public Works, the Burlington Police Department, the Safe Streets Collaborative, and the Burlington Walk Bike Council. Launch targeted sting enforcement efforts to crack down on dangerous behaviors at top offender locations. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, the best way to make things safer for people isn't just to design it safer, but is to make sure the cops are around more often. Targeted sting enforcement. So this is the thing. At, at, At top offender locations... Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And who the fuck right. do you think is going to be affected right. by that? Like, this is the thing. Like, we already know you're get, you're involving BPD and we might be biased because we're a couple of abolitionists. But like, you're going to involve BPD, which is a department that we already know disproportionately targets people of color in our communities. Four to five times the rate of, of white people. Yeah. Like it's, it's, like it's 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 so much higher. That right. definitely is gonna make our minoritized neighbors. They're gonna be like, oh, give me a bike asap. Then their equity action plan, which is like expand education efforts and access to low-income and minority communities. So yeah, their equity action plan includes working with local nonprofits to sell this idea to minoritized groups. You gotta sell it. You gotta push it on them. Is, is Kyle Dodson available? <laughs> you think we could <laughs> we could get him to quote consider location equity in distributing walk slash bike improvements across Burlington neighborhoods. But, like they almost mentioned that maybe people are not gonna want gentrifying lanes in their neighborhoods, but they just put it consider location equity. Okay, whatever. Safeguard against discriminatory enforcement by using data and bias training and other shiny objects. <laughs> Which is like, yes, we need to be hearing from marginalized neighbors about their needs and priorities. But and if I had to guess, it's not bike lanes. But Charles, they want to do it through housing. focus groups. I, I'm, no. Uh focus groups which is the best way where you get it's to the best have, way have conflict have entirely legitimate emotion people really sharing their stories but in a way that no one's ever going to actually see it 
And then you can just rewrite it as the stakeholders suggested that they could reduce the level of, of racism by, you know, like really sanitizing it in a way where you don't have to feel or see the, the harm caused, right? And that's what but White Lanes Bike Lanes talks about so much is going into these neighborhoods and t actually talking to people who say, why the fuck do we want a bike lane here when you wouldn't fix our roads for two decades? Uh, why would we want a bike lane here when, exactly, when yeah. we got fucking cockroaches and our landlord won't do shit? How about you fix that first? Like right. that's How about you fix the fucking sidewalks? That's far more important. How about you stop pulling us over for small infractions and arresting? And like yeah. that's How about you don't start launching targeted sting enforcement efforts and honestly if our cops are fucking doing targeted sting enforcement over biking we should be defunding them far more <laughs> maybe instead of having a fucking focus group maybe instead of having a subsection that is your equity action plan the entire fucking plan should be an equity action what? plan as having an equity action plan buried right. many items down in this plan is you're checking off a box and it's completely meaningless it's one of the shorter plans within this larger plan <laughs> it's amazing like winter winter cycling is twice as long the engineering plan i'm like sure you literally need to build some bike lanes like i get why the engineering right. plan would yeah. want to be long but winter cycling really you're gonna give that more right, space yeah you, than you gotta equity? clear you gotta salt it you know just it's <sighs> important it is important whatever i was interested because for the focus groups for like the people who they say were underrepresented they listed women new americans young children and and senior citizens or something like that. Like those four groups, which I'm very interested in because when they're saying that those are the underrepresented groups, does that mean uh, that new Americans is their blanket term for all BIPOC neighbors? Those, I mean, the, the, those are the communities that are, are, because there is some actual infrastructure in place. Those are communities that are easier to, to talk to as yeah. a white person. Who are not as aloof and distrust like i mean african americans have lots of reasons to be aloof and distrustful of any sort of infrastructure and government my my favorite in all of this and this is more of an aside my favorite is the uh the paid uh, advertisement in the burlington free press in 2018 for city place oh my god so amazing <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Just, I just want to really like, I feel like this is how we should end it because this is what biking is really about. Like, let's not kid ourselves here. We could like put on some like just gentle music in the background. I just want to read this whole ad as someone who has a history in the advertising world. <sighs> <laughs> Whether you're a casual rider, a serious mountain biker, or a cross between the two, you will be pleased with the bike program planned at City Place Burlington. What all cyclists have in common is a need for a safe, secure, and accessible place to store their bike. If you live in any city and want to commute to work on a bike, we are certain you have encountered this problem. A lack of safe and easily accessible bike storage. Side note, because your bike is $3,000. In fact, most people do not commute to work because there is no <laughs> safe place to store their bike and personal items. Moreover, there is no lounge, lockers, or shower facilities to accommodate a commuting cyclist. Well, City Place Burlington is going to change all that, and we will offer our community of cyclists much, much more than ever before offered by any other development in Vermont. So welcome to, <laughs> quote, bike-friendly City Place Burlington. City Place Burlington has special plans for our biking community. That's why we are partnering with Local Motion and Green Ride Bike Share Vermont. And as a matter of fact, one of the Green Ride Bike Share share docking stations has already been installed in front of our L.O. Bean store Ooh. on Cherry Street at City Place Burlington. <laughs> 
what would sustainable, just, accessible transportation infrastructure look like for Burlington and Vermont? That's exactly what I was thinking. You took the words right out of my mouth. And quoting Tracy, I also don't want people to think that we're like pushing Tracy for mayor, but also I I am pushing Tracy for mayor because fuck Moreau. I'm not pushing him. I'm I'm more or less trying to destroy everyone else's campaign. (laughs) I am neutral within his campaign and actively hostile to the other one. So take that as you will. Again, listeners, Charles supported Moreau back in the day. He volunteered for his campaign. So he said, quote, we absolutely have to start creating better alternatives to driving and building out a world-class network for walking and biking is one of those ways. If we want to realize carbon reductions, we have to commit to building non-carbon infrastructure in a way that's much more aggressive and comprehensive than what we've been doing. It's taken a while, but he's getting there. I mean, yeah, we all have our pet issues. So while we agree with, with what he said there about building out the infrastructure, it's just as important how that network is built with the voices and needs of those who have the least amount of choice when it comes to transportation, guiding the priorities of making a sustainable future, not added in as an afterthought. And then what ends ends up happening after the fact, like when you build this infrastructure and then you're like, well, why are none of the, like, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Why why are all these low income working class families? Why don't they want the bike? Like these neighbors who have fewer choices are being criticized for not using the infrastructure that, displaces them and makes them feel further like outsiders in their own homes and communities. I think the biggest the biggest thing that that Burlington can do to get transportation infrastructure right is to hell with incrementalism. You have to come up with a big plan to start implementing all at once. And it has to be comprehensive and not comprehensive in the way that it's 175 pages focusing on every little aspect of every little project. Like that's not comprehensive. That's just technocratic fetishism. And as I said earlier, it needs to be a plan that is an equity plan in nature. It needs to be a plan where you are not telling poor people that you know what's best for them. So what they think they need is probably wrong. You are actually listening to what they say they need because they know it better than you because you fucking haven't lived it. Which might not be bike lanes right now. Might not be bike lanes and base the plans off of that. And and on top of that, if, if bike lanes are that important to you, you should be working to give everyone a reason to want bike lanes. If low-income people are opposed to bike lanes, then you need to provide them the material conditions where they can then transition to a bike when they want to and when they're ready to. I mean, find out why they're opposed to it. And if they're opposed to it because they don't want to get stopped and frisked, don't fucking do sting (laughs) operations, okay? (laughs) Like, don't do that. We as a community need... Low-income people are not going to be excited for bike lanes if they're struggling to have safe housing, if they're struggling to have food, if they're struggling to have consistent transportation or consistent uh, employment. Meals, warm clothes. Uh, if they're struggling <laughs> to stay warm. You meet all those conditions for everyone in the city, and then maybe then at that point, you mm-hmm. should go in and try to convince those folks about why bike lanes are important. But until you've done that basic sort of groundwork to meet everyone's basic material needs, shut up. Yeah. Yeah. There's this quote from Bike Lanes or White Lanes that says, community members often feel as they're not being listened to. 
and bicycle advocates get frustrated that residents do not see the benefit in their predetermined plans, right? So like, don't come to the community with predetermined plans. Listen to what people need. I need to think more. I tweeted this in response to Max Tracy. I'm excited to think more about this the idea of free fares and what that looks like. Mm. I think it was great for him to point out that it's only 15% of the money that GMT takes in is from fares. And that's something that I know the local DSA chapter was working on. Mm -hmm because they, they stopped the College Street shuttle for a bit, or they were going to charge for that, and they yeah. were able, they, there was some pressure put on. I want to give them credit. I wonder about what that will look like in terms of who is occupying those spaces. I wonder if, if it's something that's made free, and then you make it to the quality that it should be, if it's going to be like privileged white students crowding out people who actually made it. I don't know if that's a legitimate concern. I mean, I think... If that is the case, that's a good problem to have, right? Like, yeah. then you've got buy-in from everyone, and then you right. need more buses. Well, and and if you have buy-in from everyone, you have higher yeah. quality. <laughs> right, know, because like... right now, as, as a, a pay-for-fee service, essentially, there's no buy-in for the majority of, of residents to care if the bus system works or not. The fees are a very small part of it, and so it should be easier. It should be easier to make it free. Honestly, have more buses. They need to be more consistent, especially in like the winter in Burlington where there's what two heated bus terminals in the entire state or something. Like there's like there's a, so few places where you can be inside in the winter. So those buses have to come every 15 minutes mm -hmm. regularly, consistently. Like that's so much a big part of it is if we're going to have this sort of transportation system, we need to be funding it and it needs to be consistent and it needs to, uh, frankly, like the buses should be smaller. Like the, we, the buses we have are too large right now. Like they're, they're yeah almost always empty, except for like key times in the day when they're really busy, but otherwise they're like practically empty. You can have a couple in the fleet that are that size. Sure. One or two, they're whatever that's needed, but like the rest should be smaller. Which also would be better for our roads and road maintenance. I mean, have you watched any of those bus drivers try to navigate Burlington in a regular sized bus? It sucks. <laughs> While kids are throwing fucking milk cartons at their head. True story. That's, that's my childhood. Then there's that whole other issue too, where the city doesn't have their own school buses, and so they rely on the public buses, and the bus drivers are not even trained for that, and there's no uh, aids. Like most school systems that have buses have people who are paid, work with kids, and know the kids to keep the kids from losing their shit all the time yeah. on the buses. And there's so many elements to our transportation system that need to be addressed. And the only way to address that, Gabrielle, as you point out, is it needs to be about equity. When I came back to Vermont, I was like, cool, there are all these park and rides and they're cropping up more and more. And I'm like, that's that's a cool thing. But Vermonters still don't really want to do that. Like I tried to do the Go Vermont. People don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to deal with strangers. They they are completely fine doing that. Especially the... with, well, especially with COVID. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing. Like now that COVID, I'm like, fucking who knows, right? Like all, but all the more we need pl public transit because that's those sort of things. Like I would feel far more comfortable being on a public bus than having some rando in my car because at least the bus is being cleaned regularly and there's standards and and has ventilation like there's just so many other elements to it but yeah. like yeah like when you already like when your commute already is 45 minutes in the snow you don't want to have to stop and pick someone right. else up especially a stranger but no but so so here's the thing with biking right like it's so much easier to buy into that because you're like oh i feel good because this is definitely good for the environment there are zero emissions associated with this and i'm getting my workout in and i look cool right so there's like that aspect of it um and yep. my ass looks great 
you can have more control over wh where you get to different places and when. I mean, I when I was trying to figure out how to get to the old North End from Essex without a car, mm. it was so much faster to go on a bike. And I mean, again, an hour, 15 minutes of being on a bus coming from Essex Junction. Again, it's a junction. The Amtrak station is there. And that's where I took the bus. I took the bus right. from the Amtrak station down to the corner of Pearl Street and uh, North Winooski. Well, and, and who doesn't want to take a bus with, like, two screaming children? <laughs> they have shit their diapers and... <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, so if I ride a bike, it's faster. I have more control over when I leave and when I get there. I get my exercise and yep. I look pretty cool. I'm making a statement that's pretty visible. Yes, queen. So I get I get credit for that. Yeah, especially as a woman riding a bike. Yeah. You're one of the underrepresented uh, groups. And I get cat calls. So that's also nice for my ego. <laughs> <laughs> or I get the share the road, sweetheart. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Nice. <laughs> sweetheart. That's in Boston, obviously. <laughs> Not in Vermont. Wow. That's kind of nice for Boston then. <laughs> <laughs> that's That was one of the nice yeah. things. <laughs> taking a bus what other benefits are there i'm paying for the fare right it's taking two times the amount of time almost but but i get to use that time to read maybe yeah which is what i like when i use tra transportation in the past i would use it to read or to lesson plan like get work done yeah you get the the feeling of being part of a community except for not not really because most people on their morning commute are kind of miserable yeah if you pass out, sometimes people catch you on That's public nice. transportation. Here in Burlington, it's like you're not personally getting anything out of yep. it. Uh, so the vast majority of people who are using it are people who don't have any other choice, is the point I'm making here. Sorry, that was a very long point to make. All forms of transportation have been used to enable and implement racism. Highways were bulldozed through black neighborhoods to enable segregated suburbs. Traffic laws are often used by police as a pretext to pull over and search people of color. Projects that claim to enhance, quote, walkability sometimes have unstated goals of gentrification. Port facilities and railroads put disproportionate burdens on Black and Hispanic neighborhoods. So listeners, think about what you can do to know better the needs of your, of your community and of your neighbors. And think about what you can do to advocate for those needs, the needs that they tell you they have. Don't advocate. Just burn the system down. <laughs> Just... What if all the landlords and business owners were white women? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>